Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week, I'm very, very excited. Do you know why I'm excited, Rob? Why, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, we're reviewing a horror book. Oh, that's right. Okay, good. Oh, it takes, us, it takes us so long to come around to these horror books that like we're really looking forward to reading. And this week, it is Lords of Salem, the... Um, I guess it's the novelization of the movie. I mean, we can go into talking a little bit more about it later, but basically, for all intents and purposes, I guess that's what it is. Yeah, I think that's what it's billed as. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, tell you a little bit about, um, uh, this might be kind of a, you know, kind of weird thing here. I'm not sure exactly how much his first author wrote of this. I know that he wrote the, the screenplay and he's the director, but uh, a little bit about Rob Zombie, in case you live in a hole somewhere. Rob Zombie is a Grammy-nominated, multi-platinum hard rock artist and an established filmmaker. He wrote and directed the movies House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, Halloween, Halloween 2, and the animated film The Haunted World of El Super Bisto. We're not going to make it through this review without me talking about crying at the end of Devil's Rejects. Apparently not, because it just, <laughs> just happened. Right there. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, and the... I guess co-author. I don't know how you would. He's the uh, he's the he's the not James Patterson on the front cover for this one. Like he's the little name at the bottom, um, but he did write the novelization from this. Uh, B. K. Evanson, also known as Brian Evanson, <clears throat> he is the recipient of an International Horror Guild Award and the author of twelve books of fiction, most recently Immobility, which NPR called merciless and unforgettable. Last Days won the American Library Association's Award for Best Horror Novel of 2010, and The Open Curtain was a finalist for an Edgar Award. He is also the author of an Aliens novel, two Dead Space novels, and a Halo novella, and Booked had him on for an interview back when we were doing our Warmed and Bound sessions. Dude, it's so cool that that's part of his Amazon, uh, that's part of his Amazon thing, um, being on Booked. <laughs> I may have embellished. Uh, man, that, I was really excited there for a minute. Can I just say that regardless of how the rest of this review goes, um, Last Days, totally fucking badass book. Like a total five-star book. I read that um, right before we interviewed him a year and right. a half ago, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely loved it. In preparation, I actually listened to our interview with him mm-hmm. just to see if I, I was curious if he had made any kind of hints that he was writing the novelization for this back then that we just didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer is no, he did not. But um, I listened to that episode again, and uh, you were definitely gushing about that book. It was so goddamn good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just want another chance to mention that. I know it's been a while since it's been been brought up, but uh, you know who's a huge Evanson fan, right? I like everybody we know. Caleb J. Ross, I yeah. think, I think, idolizes the man. I mean, the dude's a solid writer, and he's got a lot of, he's got, a, he's very established. I mean, if you can do stuff like this, I think, yeah, that's pretty impressive. So, do you think him and Zombie get to, like sit across a desk from one another and like like work some shit out? I don't know, but like the cool thing. All right, so because we've got kind of a history with Evanson, in as much as we interviewed him one time. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember if it was on Facebook, like commenting on something, or if it was in a message back and forth with him. But he said something about having seen the movie in a screening with like five other people, which means like either was either specifically invited to a very exclusive screening, or was like you know sent a screener that he watched with just a few people. Mm-hmm. But either way, that sounds pretty awesome. It does. All right, let's talk a little bit about the book. 
Um, cool. As we mentioned, it is uh, based on um, on a film, which actually, and that's like I said earlier, it's um, in that same message. He uh, Brian had mentioned that it was uh, based on the original screenplay. So we know how that goes. There's original screenplay, and then I'm sure changes get made. Um, as the movie is brought to fruition. So uh, we don't know exactly how much of this has gone into the movie from the trailer. The trailer looks to stay pretty true to the book. At least I was able to recognize basically every scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you watched the trailer? Oh, yeah, like five times. I watched it several <laughs> times while reading the book. Very nice. All right, but uh, here is the official synopsis uh, for the book. Heidi Hawthorne is a 37-year-old FM radio DJ and a recovering drug addict. Struggling with her newfound sobriety and creeping depression, Heidi suddenly receives an anonymous gift at the station, a mysteriously shaped wooden box branded with a strange symbol. Inside the box is a promotional record for a band that identifies themselves only as The Lords. There is no other information. She decides to play it on the radio show as a joke, and the moment she does, horrible things begin to happen. The strange music awakens something evil in the town. Soon enough, terrifying murders begin to happen all around Heidi. Who are the lords? What do they want? As old bloodlines are awakened and the bodies start to pile up, only one thing seems certain. All hell is about to break loose. Cue the Rob Zombie music right there. <laughs> uh, it's pretty heavy. It's a pretty heavy synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I thought about, and of course I didn't bother to read the synopsis, but as I was reading it just now, I think like Rob Zombie thinks like things about like I can write some albums, do some mind control, kind of, you know, cause some shit to happen. Um, I don't know. I never thought about it until you just said that right now. But mm-hmm. um, I think he's more just in it for fun. Yeah. See, I want him. I want him to be that guy, like the secretly super evil dude. Yeah. You want him to be his own like you know nightmare creation. It's like I was so disappointed when I found out that Alice Cooper is just like the nicest guy. He's like really <laughs> smart and the nicest guy, and he does not like try to guillotine his own head off like on weekends and stuff. Yeah, uh, this is kind of tangentially, uh, re- you know, kind of related to what we're talking about. But I, I just I don't know for some reason I've been listening to the band Tool a little bit recently. I don't know if you care about them at all, but essentially, like their lyrics can get pretty, not like dark or gruesome, but offensive. And and aggressive. So I've been listening to a lot of that, and I was watching one of the like music videos on YouTube uh, recently. And then, you know, the, at the end of the videos, YouTube always suggests other videos. And uh, one of the things that it suggested was a video of uh, the band leader Maynard James Keenan, Ke- Maynard James Keenan, and was called him David James Keaton, uh, being interviewed about uh, wine because he's a, a big. Actually, he's a big time like winemaker now, and to hmm. see this guy talking about like crops of grapes and stuff after I've listened to his like crazy offensive lyrics, I, I definitely yeah, it was a little bit of like a I don't know about this. You want him to be that guy, right? I want him to be that guy. Like I yeah. want him to like I'm watching these old ladies walking around in the background of the video, testing wine, and I want him to just go up and start swearing and like screaming about feces and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm not familiar at all with the band Tool. Um, I will say that I do like some stuff from uh, Pussifer. Is that the right pronunciation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Pussifer, some of that stuff I like, but never really cared for anything from the band Tool. Yeah. I think we kind of got off on a tangent there. What tangent? This is welcome Welcome to, uh, uh, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't even think of, of I, I couldn't do it, musicked, listened, 
Nothing. No. Yeah, uh, noted. Oh, noted. there you go. Oh, <laughs> god damn it! No, um, I will say that you know you and I are pretty much in line with our reviews a lot of the time. But boy, we should review music as a podcast. I got to tell you, you want to talk about some some throwdown? Yeah, there would be yeah. definitely big time throwdowns. All right, yeah. so let's uh, let's talk about this book. So, Heidi Hawthorne, um, who, if you're trying to uh, picture what Heidi might look like. Um, it is the uh, the lovely wife of Rob Zombie, Sherry Moon Zombie, and I knew that prior to reading this. So it's obviously the only way I can see her in my head. Um, is a, is a DJ at a at a radio station, as the synopsis mentioned. Um, she is also, and I hope not, I'm not giving too much away, but she is the ancestor, at least in the book, of a um, a judge um, during the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk about how a little bit about how the book actually like kicks off that pre that pre the history part of it yeah you know what actually we should talk about that because as i mentioned i hadn't read the synopsis so the book opens in oh uh, i don't have it like in, the late 1600s yeah so it opens 400 ish years ago and um i was like man i didn't think this was a period piece so i, I had no idea it was actually going to move forward in time <laughs> it, it wasn't what i was expecting yeah because like just from watching the trailer for the movie, which obviously maybe not the best indicator, um, it seems like most, if not all, of it took place in the modern day, with just mm-hmm. like a lot of people out in the woods at some points. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> uh, in reality, yeah, the the story opens up during, I guess, what would be the start of the Salem witch trials, this, all the burnings and stuff, because mm-hmm. um, essentially what happens is these witches try to summon the devil and... Uh, as witches, as witches are known to do. That's what they do. Yeah. Really, that's what witches do. Any witch listeners out there who you know think that's not the case, uh, feel free to let us know, and we might publish a retraction. But for right now, witches summon the devil. Uh, and so in doing so, they alert or townspeople. It, it comes to the attention of some townspeople who, I guess for whatever reason, are just ready for this kind of thing. And um, they go and they throw down on these witches and, and kill them and stuff. And... So that's kind of how we get started. Mm-hmm. So Heidi Hawthorne is the, as I said, the descendant of um, the one of the people involved in that, uh, Judge Hawthorne. And uh, is, now if the picture's coming together to you is, uh, you know, the ancestors of those witches have been binding, you know, they've been biding their time, basically. Or uh, when I say ancestors, I mean other witches have been biding their time to get their revenge on the people that... Uh, that caused their death. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's really what this story is all about. The, uh, the, the, the back in, in history times is the, you know, the transgression, I guess, against the wishes, um, which, you know, in my very, very limited knowledge of, you know, actual history and the fact that the devil doesn't exist. I thought that these were innocent women that, you know, uh, were just kind of, persecuted by super religious people but uh that's definitely not how they're portrayed in this and so it's a unique different kind of perspective they're just like these really evil bitches who want the devil to come out yeah and and to clarify they have some supernatural abilities too so not just that they want this but they are probably capable of doing this so this book isn't uh it isn't a, a slasher, so to speak, like these crazy women wanting to do terrible things. They 
they have the ability to do crazy supernatural things. Yeah. Yep. So I guess it's really not it's really not spoiling anything to say that as they are killed in the you know the old times, they essentially curse. It's more or less a curse. They vow uh, to come back and get revenge on um, the town of Salem for the way that they were killed and everything, and um, they they kind of do. My thought about that is um, that whole setup before we get to the present time. I liked it. it. First of all, it was really, really gruesome, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to quotes. But didn't it seem to you just a little bit like either it was just a plot device, or these witches just like set a trap where they're like, we're going to do something evil just so they can kill us so we can get revenge on them? Um, I mean, I think... I, I don't know. I mean, I think it was a plot device. Um, you know, obviously the story required there to be some revenge and that there'd be a particular target for their revenge. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know about it being a setup, but yeah, definitely, obviously, plot device to to bring us into the actual story. Yeah. So, I was very happy it didn't all take place in the 1600s. BTW. Yeah. Me too. yeah. Although, uh, like a, a Middle Ages Sherry Moon zombie, probably kind of hot. Yeah, but then there'd be like the bustle and the 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 you know the really long dress i watch this trailer she's either in her underwear or in shorts quite a bit of the time it's true yeah <laughs> she'll so, always be she'll always be baby to me man. i know i know even nailed to a chair she was hot yeah <laughs> cherry moon zombie never told you how disappointed i was when i found out she's really kind of normal and intelligent <laughs> well what did you think about her on uh that episode of californication where she plays a nurse um, I, I didn't, there, I really didn't think much of it at all. Okay. You know what I mean? Just, it mm-hmm. was a really small part and I just didn't, like, I was yeah. like, Hey, Sherry Moon zombie. And then she was gone. Yeah. Fair enough. So, yeah. Uh, so jumping to the present day, uh, like Livia's mentioned earlier, Heidi is, is like they say in the synopsis addicted. She's a recovering addict. So in the past, I'm assuming it was heroin, right? Mm-hmm. She was a heroin user. Um, who's recovering, and that's something that's emphasized toward the beginning. Uh, but she's essentially working at a radio station. She got some a guy who uh, helped her through her recovery, got her a job at a radio station, so she's a Shaft. DJ. Shaft. Shaft. I'm, I'm, pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure it's Shaft. <laughs> the, the Herman. <laughs> yeah, Herman. Um, and so she's just living kind of a day-to-day life of being an addict who's recovering and and then working at a radio station and stuff like that, not knowing, I mean, everybody, the whole town is very conscious of their past and like, there's a little bit of a amusement park aspect to how they portray the, the Salem witch trials and stuff like that. So everybody's kind of conscious of, of what happened in the past, but, uh, her specifically, she, you know, her mindset is she really just kind of plays into the mythology of it because that's the way the town kind of survives and stuff she's got two friends at the radio station as i mentioned shaft being one of them who's this uh african-american guy who uh dresses uh, i just pictured him looking just like shaft the entire time like the, the very mm-hmm. 70s kind of disco black exploitation um you know film look uh <laughs> which i thought was really cool and then another guy named herman as well the name was herman wasn't it yeah they're both okay. the same name but okay, yeah 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 um who's also named Herman, but uh, is called Whitey. Um, 
to make the separation. Because he's the white Herman. <laughs> yeah, which is great because someone said something to him. He's like, well, we just decided to call me Whitey because the other way just seemed kind of wrong, which I thought was just awesome. <laughs> just called the other guy like Blackie. So, um, <clears throat> and yeah, basically over the course of, was it like five, six days? It wasn't very long because each like kind of section of the book was, was a day. So it was mm-hmm. you know, probably the course of a week. Um, Heidi's life starts to slowly disintegrate, um, uh, you know, without even her realizing it, it. You know, some odd things start to happen, and she kind of chalks them up to being odd or having bad dreams and stuff. But the whole time, it is uh, the lords, this this group of witches from the 1600s, basically, that are getting her revenge. They're getting trying to get their revenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mentioned before that it's like pretty grotesque and everything, but like I really enjoy the level of creepiness and weirdness and the vague way that they portray a lot of the stuff that's introduced like the like if you watch the trailer and everything she lives in an apartment building and there's this long vacant uh, apartment number five that you know when the weird stuff starts happening she starts noticing strange things about apartment five like the door is open she thinks someone's in there but there's no one communicating and all these weird things happen and like the way that we've been waiting for a good horror book for a while for like something scary not i mean like good good scary stuff and like when we started even from the very beginning of this book i felt very much like this was going to be a very consistently scary book so i'm glad that that it was delivering on that you know really from the get-go yeah very descriptive the the you know quote unquote horror scenes are 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 they're they're horrible by you know it's it's true definition they uh i'm, I'm gonna jump a little bit ahead of of the, the first thing because you had said we're gonna talk about this right uh when we start talking about the intro and to give you an example i am going to read my uh <laughs> my first note uh which says starts off brutally this is 1% of the way into the book. A loop of intestine jiggled its way out, smeared with blood flux, then something smaller, a veined and rigid, ridged tube, and then, along it all, a tiny and flexing hand. Yep. Yeah. Totally shudder-worthy yeah. stuff throughout, throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And it's a good blend of that just like totally grotesque and um, some of the more psychological stuff. Uh, more more toward the t- grotesque side, to be honest. But there are some, like, there's a passage that I'm going to read when we do quotes. Um, it's just a person walking across a bridge, but you feel creeped out the way that that person feels creeped out. So there's definitely a psychological aspect to the, the freakiness as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a lot more we can say about the story. It does take place in a fairly short period of time. Um, it's a week. It's a woman's... I want to say slow, but kind of slow disintegration, um, just with these weird things that keep happening to her, and she doesn't, you know, I, I think that she doesn't assume they're real. There's a, there's a part where something weird happens to the secretary or the receptionist at the radio station, and there's a little bit of a disclaimer about how when uh, something you can't explain happens, you tend to explain it some other way just to right. make it fit, and I, I that's what Heidi I think goes through throughout the course of this book is fitting explanations onto things because it's too weird to not mm-hmm. you know yeah, to, to look at it for what it might actually be so um we kind of follow her into this you know disintegration throughout the course of the book right and so yeah yeah i, I think yeah explaining story we pretty much hit what we can without being spoilery 
Um, but we can definitely talk about some of the things that were cool or, or, or interesting about, like the themes overall. Like, I'm trying to think. One of the things that I thought was really well done was that um, it wasn't as if, and I don't. I hope this doesn't spoil too much. You essentially, as you read through the book, you realize that the scale of this conspiracy to get revenge is totally different than what you would have thought it would have been. And um, seeing the different elements at play that you weren't expecting was really cool. I guess that's as vague as I can be without spoiling, but also giving a compliment because that was one of the things that I enjoyed the most was like, oh, this person is doing this or, oh, this is happening because of this. And I didn't see it coming, that type of thing. I think that you were uh, vague enough and that you put it very, very well because that was an enjoyable, an enjoyable part of the book. Um, it, it starts off, and again, I'm, we hope we're not giving away too much. It starts off having that kind of ghost story feel to it. Is that what you meant? And then you know you got to see that that's not really what was going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. and then just um, actual characters and the role that they really pay, play that's revealed later. There were some twists mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, I would like to say completely unrelated to the statement that you just said, because I know it's going to come off kind of weird after you said that. Um, there was a character that we didn't mention. I apologize. I don't have his name handy. Um, there is a, uh, a historian that... that uh, Francis, a, maybe? Yes, Francis, who plays a small part uh, in, in the story in so much as that he's the, the, the validation of the history you know, we, we learn a little bit through through his uh, through his eyes and, and his research. Um, you know, potentially what could be going on in this book. But um, him and his relationship with his wife, he's kind of like a, a flighty kind of guy, and, and and his wife just kind of puts up. She loves him, but she kind of puts up with him. <laughs> just I thought was was done mm-hmm. very very well in the book as as a nice and um, uh, lighter hearted. Um, portion of, of what else what otherwise is a very very heavy and dark book yeah definitely like the character and uh, <laughs> I liked how he was kind of grumpy and, and pissy a mm-hmm. little bit too is nice yep. um, another thing that I thought was uh, this is actually Livius is gonna this might shock you a little bit but I'm gonna draw a little bit of a Stephen King uh, uh, parallel maybe mm-hmm. a little bit in my limited experience with Stephen King and knowing that I haven't read him for probably about 20 years. Uh, so as it says in the synopsis, she plays this music at the radio station, this random thing that, you know, showed up. Uh, she plays the music and then all this, like the town just goes crazy. Lots of weird, evil stuff starts happening. And it kind of made me feel like it was executed, at least in a way that made me remind, it reminded me a little bit of, have you read Needful Things? I have. So essentially the idea of needful things is like there's a guy who has all these antiques or whatever, but it's like the things that the people most treasure in the world. And and their, I guess, extreme connection to these things and kind of like a magical element makes them go crazy and do stuff that they normally wouldn't do. Eh, I'm getting that pretty much right, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. So in, in this, the, the music kind of has an effect where these are totally normal people uh, that have everyday lives and are very calm and mundane. And then when they're listening to this radio station, the music awakens something in them that has kind of always lied there dormant. And once that thing awakens, they just start doing crazy stuff like killing each other and 
mutilating themselves and stuff. So to me, that strongly reminded me of like the type of uncontrollable impulse kind of feel I got from Needful Things. I can see that, and I think it's an interesting parallel to draw. Yeah. So. Not a lot, of, lot. Not a lot for me. I don't. Re- I haven't read a lot of horror, so I have to go with what I have. <laughs> no, but you're right, and it, it does. It awakens a desire in in people, and that's <clears throat> kind of you know. It's funny because while you're <laughs> while you were saying that, it occurred to me that I asked you if I if you thought that uh, Rob Zombie ever does that. Do you think that that Bjork does that? Because I hear Bjork, and it makes me want to murder people. Um, she probably does. She's Icelandic. Oh well, that explains everything. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's just racist against this, like the poorest country in the world. Well, one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, but they they're believe really in elves poor? up there. They're really that poor. Well, their economy collapsed like a year or two ago. Like their entire government collapsed because I don't know. But they owe a lot of money all over the place. That's they're they're worse off than Greece. We'll put it that way. Well, there you go. Am maybe, I getting, we'll re- maybe we'll read a fiction book about it. Am I getting two enough. current events for you? I'll, I'll know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I, all I keep going to is is just how goddamn... I'm, I'm looking at my notes, and my notes say things like, Good Lord, no pun intended, and <laughs> effing brutal, and oh my God, self-mutilation. <laughs> and there is, um, there is a ton of it. Uh, but done in a way that's really, really terrifying. And and I say that because to some people, they might already think, my God, that's terrifying. But Rob has mentioned on the show before how I'm kind of desensitized. This yeah. was pretty brutal, gruesome stuff, man. Like, I was feeling <laughs> affected. Um, there's a part, and I'm not giving anything away, but there's a, a person kills another person, blah, blah, blah. At any rate, um, the victim's toes are cut off and then collected oh. by the victim's belly. And just that image just totally freaked me out. <laughs> yep. So um, there is there is a lot of that. I, I may quote one or two things um, from those scenes. I, I know I mentioned earlier the the intestine part from one percent in. Um, it, just, ugh, rough, but rough in a really really good way. Like I, I was very happy to be able to. It's like how I always felt about haunted houses. Like as a you know as a kid as a teenager. It was like I really wanted one to really, really scare me, and that's how I felt about this. Like I read, want to read something that's gruesome. I want it to be gruesome to the point where I want to look away from the page. And I, I think that this book, um, I, I think that uh, Mr. Evanson and Mr. Zombie, as much as whoever to credit for for these particular portions, um, did a very good job at that. I'm pretty glad that I listened back to our interview with Evanson as well because. There was a part where we were talking to him about how he writes under one name for his literary stuff and a different name for his what he called contract stuff. Mm-hmm. So when he was writing Alien and Halo and all those different stuff, mm-hmm. he wrote B.K. Evanson, which is what his uh, what he's credited as for this book. And one of the things he said that's nice about writing under the different name for those types of books is that it kind of gives him the ability to really amp up like the depravity of what he's writing that's not his words mm-hmm. exactly but that's the the idea is that like he doesn't have to be as careful about you know going overboard or going over the top so i think he just like these types of books are just his app opportunity to just just let loose mm-hmm. yeah. I, I do want to make another another comment and again i don't it's like i don't know how to address this because i don't want people when i'm gonna say it it's gonna sound bad but um from what I remember from reading Last Days, it was far more literary 
And that's not to say that I don't think this could have been more literary, but I definitely think this was intended for more of a mass market appeal. So as I started reading it, I was a little surprised because I was like, this doesn't seem like the same guy that's writing it, if that makes sense. Right. Um, which I'm sure has to do, again, with the fact that it's a it's a movie tie-in and, and probably not the same crowd that, that would pick up uh, Immobility or Last Days or any of his other stuff. So um, it, it's like a light read from a prose standpoint, which is not what I was expecting from, from another Evanson book. Yeah. But again, then, again, not to say it's a bad thing because I just don't think that, you know, the publisher would want kind of like the heavy reading, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially knowing um, the style of Rob Zombie, like practically everything he does is in a very, I don't want to say campy, but he's not as literary or serious um, with the exception of certain parts of The Devil's Rejects that made me cry. Um, he doesn't go toward heavy dramatic Mm -hmm. subject matter he goes towards you know more visceral you know kind of stuff or or funny or just shocking kind of stuff so yeah it 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 fits perfectly with the type of story that he's getting as a basis agreed you ready to do some quotes yeah yeah we can do some quotes you want to kick it off um I'm going to start with my first official quote from um, 3% into the book. So I'm going to do a content warning right now. Um, if you have small children around or uh, really, I don't know if weak stomach's the right word, but um, extreme, extreme violence is, is what I'm going to read here. Um, the reason I'm going to is I want people to understand the kind of punch that this book can deliver. Uh, and, and I give out the warning because I, I was blown away by this. So I think I've given people enough time to like turn off the, the car radio or whatever, right? If they're listening. Rob, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, just, a, just a hair of setup. This is from that uh, kind of prequel portion that takes place in the 1600s. Um, the child in reference here uh, is a newborn. And by newborn, I mean minutes old. The child immediately caught flame but continued shrieking. The creature toyed with it, dangling it by one foot and regarding it with its smaller eye with curiosity and hunger. And then with a single sharp movement, it snapped the child like a whip. The newborn suddenly fell silent, its neck broken. The creature dashed its head against the floor once hard, and when it came up again, the flaming head was loose and pulpy and and dripping blood. All right. That's just really fucked up. (laughs) Um... It caught me off guard because of its brutality, um, more so because of the, and I don't know, maybe it's kind of an unspoken agreement amongst artists and stuff, um, you know, really visceral violence like that against small children is, is almost seems like it's taboo, like it's just something you don't do, and I'm not at all bothered by the fact that he did it. It was part of the story, and, and ultimately probably an important part to, to understand the, the violence that these witches would... would um, you know, we're, we're willing to bring against people in pursuit of, of their, their beliefs. Um, but man, it caught me really, really off guard. And and it's a great, it's a great (laughs) paragraph. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's one of my favorites or whatever, but I mean, it's, this is, uh, it just shows the brutality of the book in a perfect, perfect way. And I like that, that Evanson didn't pull Evanson slash zombie, like again, whoever's responsible for that particular portion didn't pull any punches when, when telling the story. I don't know how many writers, quite honestly, would have been brave enough to, to leave that in when you probably could have skirted around it if you wanted to. 
Yeah, um, that makes me think about uh, when, uh, the other day when I finished the book, I posted on Facebook that I had finished it, and Jesse Lawrence, a uh, friend of the podcast and manarchy person and just all-around awesome guy, uh, asked um, whether he I thought he should wait until after watching the movie to read the book. And in my response, um, one of the things I said was uh, basically that <laughs> there's certain things that... Um, it was fun to imagine how or if certain scenes from the book were actually going to make it onto the screen. And this is a perfect example of, like, I remember vividly thinking to myself, how are they going to do that in a movie? I mean, this is going to have to be some off-camera, you know, mm-hmm. you know, suggestive violence rather than, like, an actual scene because there's no possible way they were going to pull that off in a movie. Agreed. And we'll see. We'll see. You never know. Yeah. So, uh... To give another example of some just visceral, grotesque violence, this is, uh, again, from the the olden days part of the book in the very beginning, 1% in. Uh, this basically, if you hadn't figured it out, there's essentially a pregnant woman who uh, they pull the baby out of her and they kill her, uh, the witches. And it's very, very grotesque, and that's kind of what we're starting. The book reading is like basically about how these witches kill a pregnant woman. And so this is one of the... Uh, I don't know, man. This is one of the scenes that just really got to me. Uh, and, and you'll understand why. She felt hands pushing their way into her, fingers forcing the lips of the wound wider, the flesh tearing, and then the knife pierced something deeper inside her. Yeah, that's shudder-worthy, dude. Totally, totally agree. <laughs> um... I'm going to change uh, up a little bit from the, the really gruesome stuff. Uh, a little spoilery here. I was just deciding, but you know what? I love it so much that it has to go. Um, I'm not going to give this any setup as to keep it as spoiler-free as possible. Um, it's just this couple of sentences. Inside of her, a sleeping beast reared its head and became attentive. It came and pressed its ear against the side of her skull, listened through the music to the reverse chant hidden un- within it. That something coming alive and then coming to the side of her skull to listen, beautiful. That's see, yep. that's yeah. like that's the stuff I expected to read when I saw that this was Evanson. Yep. If that makes sense. So. All right. So the next one I'm going to do is more of an example of the psychological aspect of of, of the horror that uh, I enjoyed. Uh, no setup really necessary for this one. <clears throat> He had reached the bridge, Salem lying just on the other side of it. The fog was rising off the river and obscuring the bridge itself, making it seem as if it dissolved halfway across the water. He hesitated for a moment before crossing over it, his footsteps echoing against the planks. The bridge slowly appeared out of the mist in front of him, becoming firmer, becoming real. But when he turned and looked back, behind him it had begun to vanish. He hurried his steps, breathed a sigh of relief when he was finally on solid ground again. Like, that's the scariest walk across a bridge I've ever read. <laughs> I, I would have to agree. <laughs> um, I don't know how many walks across bridges you've read, so I don't know if that's actually a qualifier for anything or not. Um, I have, uh, I've looked through the rest of my quotes. Um, more of them are notes. Um, a lot of my quotes were, were a little uh, too spoilery. Um, uh, yeah, see, I can't, this I can't, this I can't. I, I have notes, though. More notes, probably, than I've had in a in a book. 
and they say things like self-mutilation. Um, <laughs> there's 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 another one that I'm not going to say because I think it's too spoilery, but Rob and I had actually discussed this scene um, before we were done with the book. Both of us had a little something to offer about how horrible this particular scene was. It takes place inside of a church. <laughs> and, and I'm just blown away at, at how visceral um this this really was in um scary in some ways and and, you know there are things that happen um throughout the course of the story that you know are act you know that are that are happening there's things that are happening that you know aren't actually happening that they're more uh hallucinatory or or things like that but it didn't keep them from being creepy all i kept thinking is why wouldn't this poor woman go somewhere where she thought she could be safe like throughout the course of the book like I'm that guy. The ha- the house is haunted. You can fucking have it. Like, I'm out. Just like that. That's all I need to know. I think there's a ghost. I'm done. You can have it. Have everything in it. Um, so so I'm not going to read any more quotes because um, they're, they're more of the same. I mean, I'm looking at one now, and it says uh, more than that, much more like someone had cut her belly open and pushed out loop after slick loop of her intestine and was using that as a rope. The, um, all right, so... The part that Livius was talking about that took place in a church that we're not going to talk about, very rightfully so. Um, the quote that happens in the church around what happens is actually used in the trailer. And, um, man, when I watched the trailer after gotten, having gone through that part, totally different feeling about it altogether. But the, the quote is something about there being a war waging in heaven and God does not spare angels when they sin. So when you hear that in the trailer, just know something really disturbing is happening in a church. <laughs> yeah. So, man, yeah, I, I, I can't get over how, uh, how well um, all of those scenes were done and how truly horrifying it was to read them. Yeah. Yeah. He brought it big time. I mean, Rob Zombie uh, has a very, very disturbed mind. Uh, which I mean, the horror that he creates is just great, and um, I don't think he could have found a better person could have found a better person than Brian Evanson to to bring it to words. It, it just worked really well. Want to do wrap ups? Right. We should probably do wrap ups. Why don't you go first this time? Cool. All right. Um, probably going to keep it pretty brief because we've gone over pretty much everything that needs to be said. Um, the upside. It's just terrifying. It's a really freaky book. I didn't want to read it at night <laughs> any more than I needed to. Um, and just very, uh, I'm trying to think of the words I said. It's uh, uh, very visually rich, and it has a very cinematic quality to it. And I have to imagine it's probably part of it is because it's a novelization of a, of a, of a movie. Um, so it's very much something that you can get yourself lost in. Um, your imagination just takes over, and and the fact that it's stuff that is is frightening, I think, even just kind of facilitates that. So, very very easy to get lost in the story and just kind of like surrounded by all the horror that's going on. Um, I, I don't really have too many problems with the story. Really, at some parts, I think the plot was a little bit on the thin side, or the story just wasn't, um, you know as important as what was happening in it if that makes sense but overall i mean anything else that happens like the 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 actual action in the in the story makes up for that by far so 
really enjoyed the book, and I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. I'm going to give the book, I hadn't even thought about it, but I'm going to do four and a half stars. Um, there's not a whole lot I can tack on to what Rob said, but um, I'll try. He, he said visually rich. Um, I'm going to go with visually disturbing. Um, <laughs> and when I say that, I don't mean it in a bad way. I really don't. It's, it's my favorite stuff in the book. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it's a horror story. Um, you know, start to finish, uh, it, it's very, very heavy on the the horror action side of it, um, which is uh, which is a good thing, I think. Um, I don't think that in this type of book that, you know, you need a lot of character development and a lot of conflict resolution and a lot of this. I mean, this is what it is. It's a goddamn scary book. Um, the parts that I think Evanson shines in uh, and, and from having read him before is I think that all of the scenes that we talked about, um, I, I think that he put a, a special touch on those to make them what they are in this book. Uh, I'm also looking very forward to seeing the movie. It comes out in theaters April 19th. I sound a little bit like a like a commercial for it. I'm um, speaking of which there is there is an infomercial in this book that we didn't talk about at all. <laughs> it oh is the God. most awesome infomercial ever, ever, <laughs> ever. And oh. I can totally I know that had to make it into the movie. Yep. I cannot picture it not making it into the movie. So um if you're looking to read a disturbing and scary horror book, um, this is this is probably the best one we've 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 come across in in, in quite a while, and I'm gonna give it four stars. There it is. Four four a four and a four and a half. I I outstarred you on this one. You did. It's rare. You do definitely did. So, gotta keep people on their toes, man. That's right. Looking forward to Evanson writing some more some more horror. It's all horror. So right before we started recording this, we did get some very exciting news. It looks like um, if all the stars line up correctly, we will actually have uh, Mr. Evanson uh, joining us to talk a little bit about Lords of Salem. So some of those questions we had um, about the story and about the writing, I think we'll be able to put to the guy that uh, that did all the work. That's right. We are cajoling him again to, uh, to give us some time to talk about the book. Yeah, it's going to be nice. Um, if only we could get Rob Zombie on as well to do like a four-way conversation that'd be nice i'd settle for sherry moon zombie i was gonna say i think you just blubber <laughs> the whole time mr, mr. mr. zombie is z- a z- zombie <laughs> do you get star i don't get starstruck so um no i don't either yeah i don't either but i know you really like like i i'm okay with rob zombie i know you're a fan big like, fan like a genuine fan yeah i, I like rob zombie well enough um I, I like his his first two movies were just absolutely phenomenal i was kind of uh i was okay with halloween and i don't think i saw the second one but yeah. uh you know we've talked on the show before about house of a thousand corpses and and the devil's rejects and just how phenomenal both of those are um i also believe and you may um from watching the trailer five times this is this not produced by the same people who did paranormal activity oh is it paranormal it's i think insidious i think you're right i think it's uh um, I'm gonna go ahead and say you're right. I think it is. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, one of the few people that'll still openly admit this, I like the Paranormal Activity movies. <laughs> so uh, if that is indeed the case, um, I, yeah, I, you know, I think that it's kind of like the Saw movies, which yeah, I, I fell off after I don't know why after the first few. Um, but uh, Paranormal Activity, nope, they can just keep making them as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I totally I- enjoy that, uh, that that type of schlocky horror, you know. Uh, 
So, well, what I'm getting out of this is that we need to take Richard Thomas with us to see Lords of Salem in the theaters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I agree. We should, but. You know what I was thinking? I actually looked this up the other day because I was thinking about our friends across the pond. Not Craig Walwork, the other one. Michael Wilson. Mm-hmm. And the This Is Horror um, website and podcast. Yeah, yeah. This movie only comes out a week later in the UK. So I think we could still probably do a really timely review and maybe see if we can uh, sync something up with, uh, with the This Is Horror podcast or something. Maybe I think that we can look into doing that. Yeah, I think that we should go so far as to obligating them on our podcast to do it before they even say yes, so that they have no choice. Dude, is that how it works? All right, well, let's try it and see if it works. <laughs> okay, all right, so uh, <laughs> listen up, listen up, this is horror. Um, you are now obligated to do something with us um, around the uh, <laughs> Lords of Salem film, uh, like the last week of April. That's right, otherwise there's going to be a scandal, because if you don't want to cross podcast with your podcast of the year... Uh, about a horror movie then there's something wrong with the whole system that is correct <laughs> so by the way i did look it up and it looks like um it, it looks like it says lords of salem is the third film from haunted films the first two being paranormal activity and insidious so it looks like they maybe didn't do the, the subsequent paranormal activity ones. right so they did the really good one <sighs> interesting the one, that, the one that scared richard thomas um so <laughs> Oh, and eventually Nick Corpon, because remember he said that when he was moving into his new house later, mm-hmm. like that first night that he heard noises and thought the house was uh, haunted or whatever. Well, that's because it is haunted. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. All right. So anyway, back to Richard Thomas. We've been saying his name back and forth, and there's a reason for it. Uh, we haven't talked about him in a while, and he's got something coming out. We want to make sure that we bring to our listeners' attention. Kraken Press will be uh will be publishing um a collection of stories from mr thomas uh entitled staring into the abyss not starting into the abyss no don't listen to richard thomas if he's telling you it's starting into the abyss he's totally wrong he's lying yeah yes so sometime and i think they said in the in the spring of 2013 they didn't have a set date when I was looking over on the Crack and Press website, mm-hmm. uh, but it's soon because Richard keeps talking about it on Facebook and stuff. Um, yeah, a collection of short stories by the man so, himself. So we've talked about Richard Thomas uh, a lot of times. He was our traveling partner um, when we went to Corydon, Indiana, our first official outing as a podcast. And um, he was also in Warmed and Bound and joined us for that. And his name comes up periodically. Um, the guy uh, excels at short story writing. So he's incredibly prolific at getting his short stories published. And there's a reason for that. They're pretty goddamn good. So you're going to want to check that out. Yeah, if you can't wait to read his story, Surrender, in the book anthology, which is imminently releasing. We don't have a specific date yet. Um, yeah, check out Starting not starting staring into the abyss we teased richard because i think it was was it his first um one of the first times he mentioned it on twitter yeah and i'm sure it's like <laughs> autocorrect or something from his phone but yeah it was starting into the abyss so we like to tease richard you know yeah. why because we like to tease people you know what That's i noticed what too like when you were talking about our, our experiences with him you didn't mention the fact that we just hang out at like buffalo wild with wings with him on a regular on a regular on a regular basis no, you know, I didn't, and it's weird because that feels kind of separate from, like, the official stuff. That's just, like, guys hanging out. Oh, so it's, like, off-duty hanging out with Richard. Yeah, that's, like, our, that's like that's like when you say to people, like, like, you know, I was just hanging out with Richard Thomas. 
Like it's not an official thing. You do that like on the download, just like this is how cool I am. So. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Sorry, I, I I didn't understand that there was a whole code and a system. Well, yeah, yeah. So Richard Thomas in the briefcase. That man has a briefcase. Mr. Thomas, your briefcase and you were missed in Boston. It came up several times. Yeah, we even pointed out other people's briefcases that we could use as substitutes. Mm-hmm. In the airport, I think we were talking about. Yes, we were. That friendly TSA guy. Remember that friendly TSA guy? So, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> um, if you live in the Chicago area, I'm sure that at some point you've had the uh, the wonderful experience of, of boarding a flight at uh, O'Hare Airport. Um, yeah. TSA at O'Hare Airport is what I'm used to because no matter where you go, if you go to different places, you're always leaving or coming in at O'Hare. So it's at least double what you see anywhere else. But if you go to different places, you never really see the same place twice. Boston. Man, the nicest TSA people I have ever met in my life. They Okay, so the TSA people in Chicago are already turds. This made them even turdier <laughs> by being in a city where the TSA folks just couldn't have been more pleasant. And it wasn't just one. There were three or four that I dealt with while I was there, and they were all just super shiny, happy people. It was like later in the evening. So it wasn't like, you know, I don't know, maybe they just got there or whatever, but it wasn't like, you know, you know it was like just really nice and friendly and smiling and, you know. <laughs> they had a guy that was working the crowd. Like, they had they had the people checking IDs and stuff, but mm-hmm. then they had one guy that was like, directing people to the to the agent that was going to check their ids and mm-hmm. while he was doing it he was just kind of walking up and down the line just making chit chat with people making conversation mm-hmm. it was like the most charming thing ever yeah so tsa in chicago's like you go stand over there this guy was like oh you folks together you guys can all just walk down to the end there the last person on the right's going to help you like yeah. just like that yeah tsa they're like you go over there also did you notice they weren't using the body scanners what's the deal with that did you get you get scanned on your way out right no, I, I didn't get scanned either way this time, which is okay. surprising. They were scanning everybody when I left. Hmm. Um, everybody. And then um, <clears throat> there, it was just like a metal detector for everyone. No one was working like the scanner machine. Everybody was nice. Well, they had the scanner machine. They just weren't <clears throat> sending anybody through it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. they had the opportunity to be douchebags and didn't. Yeah. I always like to, whenever I have to go through the body scanner, afterwards I tweet about it with the hashtag, you're welcome. As if it was like an honor for them to look at my scanned body. Was that a long <laughs> enough silence to tell you? Yeah, I was like, God, I love this silence. I uh, I was just thinking they should have just put that scene in this really disturbing book that we uh, that we finished reading. <laughs> yeah, so. there's something inside me pressing against my skull. <sighs> All right, so. No, so let's see. So far, we've talked about um, reviewing music. We've reviewed TSA um, personnel, which we can do every time. We can have a podcast where we just travel around the world reviewing TSA <laughs> personnel, awesome. like security personnel in other countries and how they compare to O'Hare TSA people. Um, but we are ultimately um, still a book review podcast. So what if we tell folks about the next book we're going to review? Yeah, so Livius actually mentioned our next uh, author a little bit earlier in the podcast, he mentioned Corn in Indiana, home of Frank Bill, author of Donnie Brook, which is going to be the next book that we read. You like the way I structured that? I did. I did. It was like a very step one, step two. Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. It was like zooming but, in on a picture, like mm-hmm. a map or something. So this is Frank Bill's first full novel, um, Crimes in Southern Indiana, even, even though it was um, 
little the stories were a little interlaced it was still a, a like a collection of stories and this is going to be one full novel not read the synopsis but from some things i've seen on twitter i get the feeling that it's a little bit like southern indiana fight club a little bit dark everything i'm seeing is people saying how dark it is mm-hmm but uh, congratulations to, to Mr. Bill. Um, we were we were in uh, Boston, and there was a Barnes and Noble uh, across from from the hotel and stuff. And we were in there, and sure enough, his book was right there on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. Very yeah, cool. he's he's getting some serious love. GQ is throwing him like book parties in New York and stuff, and he's getting mm-hmm. written up in like all these big impressive magazines. Frank Bill is 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 definitely his star is rising right now. Yep, he has arrived. So very much looking forward to. I will be starting uh, Donnie Burke probably in about twelve hours. Um, very much looking forward to it. Yeah, and um, by the time this episode airs, this will already be done. But we're sure. recording on Sunday the seventeenth right now. Monday the eighteenth and Tuesday the nineteenth. Frank's doing uh, appearances, uh, reading slash uh, you know signing events in Milwaukee and Chicago respectively. So. Um, we had hoped to get out to, to that, but scheduling conflicts might not allow that to happen. Um, but regardless, if we can, we're going to go to that. Hopefully, uh, other people will be able to check it out, too, because uh, in addition to his stories being just, like, really good, he's very actually good at, at live readings and stuff, too, and he's the nicest person you'll ever meet. So um, definitely hoping that people get out to, uh, to, to get, a, get to meet him and see him read live. I totally thought you were just going to pimp an episode where people might be able to hear him read live. So I can't carry all the weight, man. This you got to do some of that. I don't know the number. That's why I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to let you finish what you were saying. I was saying you just didn't know the number, right? <laughs> um, I can in about 20 uh, seconds. Though. Yeah, our, the Noir at the Bar 2 release party, our second trip to court in Indiana, um, we were lucky enough to get Frank Bill on a reading um, from something he was working on, and he, I don't, I think he wasn't very, very specific about it. So I think it's the book after Donnie Brook. That could be. Yeah. So, but that's like back in November, around the one fifteen, sixteen, seventeen episode range. Mm-hmm. So yeah. go back and check that out, just in case you weren't able to make it out to um, Chicago or um, Milwaukee, and uh, then come back next time to hear our thoughts on Donnie Brook. That's right. Got anything else to say? Nope. All right. So that's going to do it for a very exciting review of a very exciting horror book. Uh, Until next time, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading.